everybody. Welcome to today's One Million by One Million podcast. We are here with Andrew Kane McClary from KDT Ventures, and he goes by Kane. Um, we are going to talk about his fund's activities in the context of our uh, One Million by One Million work and our entrepreneurship community. Welcome, Andrew. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Tell us about the fund. Tell us about what your investing focus is. How big is the fund? What size investments do you make, etc.? Sure thing. I think it's, it's useful to start with a little bit of context um, on my background. And I'm a yes. physician and, and basic scientist by training. Um, I was in the lab for the better part of 2000 to about 2010, um, and then practiced medicine at Stanford, but was introduced to entrepreneurship when actually uh, some things that I was trying to measure uh, while I was in the lab, uh, there weren't really robust measurement systems that existed. And I actually funded my first company as an angel investor in 2010 uh, that was starting out of Boston um, that was designing uh, both an instrument and technology to help measure um, certain things in the lab and, and do it cheaply and more effectively. And at that point, I I really understood what, what venture and venture funding um, was about in terms of translating uh, what I feel are uh, very impactful um, ideas and, and products that, that either will help world supply chains or help folks get diagnoses or, or um, treatment sooner and, and better. And so I went through training at, at Stanford, and, and during that time I was actually probably the worst uh, resident that, that Stanford ever had in the hospital because I was always on Sand Hill Road um, working with large venture firms. I found it more interesting to try to imagine the future than uh, practice in the past, if you will, um, mm -hmm. and worked with some, some very large firms at CCs at first the intersection of, of healthcare and technology, um, then more broadly, uh, really science and technology um, because more and more we're realizing that the basic building blocks of life, so things like DNA, is really just source code, um, just like you would have electricity within computers. Um, and there's a lot of different parallels that you can draw between science and the information technology revolution that's, that's really been happening since the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, I left and joined a startup uh, because I actually felt like um, a fake, uh, to be totally honest, investing in entrepreneurs and never having lived an entrepreneurial life. Um, yep. And so instead of jumping uh, straight into the deep end and investing, I, I instead joined a startup for two years. Um, we scaled from uh, a small number of folks. I was a around employee 30 or 40 to over 300 in about 18 months. So I got to experience um, true what some would call in Silicon Valley hyperscale, um, and the, both the, the, the pains that that introduces and the opportunities um, that that really introduces. And then left this last March to start my own firm um, called KDT Ventures. I focus um, at the intersection of uh, really computation and uh, science um, and biology. Um, that has a a very broad definition and touches many different verticals. Uh, the main ones that I focus on are actually uh, chemicals, agriculture, and medicine. Um, so to me, as I said, DNA, the building block of, of life, is really just source code. And we have all kinds of different data measurement systems and tools that exist in the world today. 
And we have incredible compute that allows us to start to understand complex systems and redesign those systems um, in, in very meaningful and interesting ways. I have a seed fund now. So the KDT Ventures is a uh, $15 million seed fund. Um, I will do uh, some Series A checks. Um, and I, at the end of everything, I've just started investing out of this first fund. Uh, we should have around 15 to 20 portfolio companies. And what uh, is the size of the seed fund? So 15 million is the seed fund. 15 million, um, okay. Yeah. And what uh, size checks do you like to write? Yeah, so um, typically for uh, seed rounds, the check size will be between 300 dollars and, and $500,000, but uh, I tend to reserve more um, uh, than likely most uh, seed funds for follow-on funding. Um, so I'll traditionally reserve two to one or three to one for follow-on um, due to, as I'm sure that we'll, we'll speak about, uh, sort of the where capital is moving within the stack right now of, of investing. Um, and so I want to make sure that I, I have enough to um, – really support those companies that, that need to scale at that Series A level and, and fight dilution. And what um, define seed from your point of view? You may have uh, read some of my writings or listened to other podcasts where I have been calling out the fact that the seed uh, ecosystem has now become extremely fragmented, you know, pre-seed, seed, seed, post-seed, pre-Series A, Series A, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's, a, it's a very... Uh, broad spectrum of uh, companies um, in various different stages and people are starting to kind of segment themselves into the funds are starting to segment themselves into those types of um, you know state specific interests so where do you fit in this and and you can um, besides using that terminology if you could also help us understand what does that mean for you in terms of validation stage? Absolutely, yeah. So um, for me, the, the simplistic way that, that I, I try to break it down is uh, the pre-seed company um, traditionally is, uh, I consider it almost an incubation within my fund. Um, and so that is a perhaps two founders, usually it's one, um, that has a fairly well-formulated idea or business plan, um, but is really trying to uh, build out the strategy um, as well as team to perform on that strategy. And so I take the onus onto myself and, and quote that, that pre-seed stage, and I'm, I'm not afraid of that at all when it is just concept stage, um, to really help build the team and strategy to meet the goals of what may be considered a, a true seed round, although as you say, that's, that's really a, a dynamic definition these days. Um, for me, a seed round is uh, there's been some early um, proof of concept work. Uh, I, I don't function, obviously, in, in pure, pure technology, so um, the companies that I invest in, I'm not expecting um, as much revenue traction um, and really any revenue traction at that point in time. It's really a scientific or technical de-risking that needs to happen. Um, and so you need to see some forward momentum and some very clear KPIs that um, are, are going to be defined, which are those key performance indicators for uh, the Series A round. Um, I do a lot of 
rounds these days too uh, have gone from what may be true seed, maybe called pre-seed today, and then there's quote a bridge round, which could be a seed round is what it could be considered, and then the true quote larger Series A. Because I think that if you've written about it and 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 as, as folks have started to talk about those Series A rounds um, are getting quite large, and so the onus and the bar for the companies is, is quite high, um, and there, it requires a, a bit of capital, particularly within the technical realms that I function, uh, to get them to that true Series A. Okay. So um, just to double-click on what you said, would you fund, for example, a company that has you know, good level of technology and a good understanding of what is the business, where are they going, good, you know, customer validation from talking to customers and getting the customer pain points validated and so forth, but still needs another half a million to a million for product development. Is that something that you would fund? It Absolutely, yeah. Um, and for okay. me, actually, the, the, the earlier in, um, in the stack that I go um, and the earlier in... Uh, product and business development that I go, um, the better I understand uh, the company and their goals, the more helpful I'm able to be, um, as well as, uh, in the end, my, my job is not only to support that entrepreneur, but to return money to my LPs. Um, the, the larger the opportunity for ownership is, um, the earlier that you go. And so, as a true seed investor, I can't be afraid of, of going early. Um, as long as, as certain conditions are met around what those real the, the performance benchmarks are going to be to enable um, future funding, as well as uh, where those tailwinds are pushing that company forward. So, Okay. And um, you said you clearly have a deep background in medicine and you've done a lot of stuff in, in the you know, biohealth, biosciences area. But you mentioned you are also interested in doing stuff outside of biosciences and agriculture and so forth. Where does that interest come from? What is the um, what is the thesis behind that interest? Absolutely. So, so as I said, the, the really the building blocks of what I call um, in a lot of my writings the physical layer. Uh, so whether that is what you're eating, what you're sitting on, um, when you get your blood taken and a lab test, they're really all built on the same scientific principles. Um, and those principles are that there are certain laws of, of physics and, and laws of biology uh, that are, dictate how the physical layer is developed and how it functions. Um, and so if you think about it just like uh, the chips um, in computers and, and how we manipulate electricity as, as a source code to write operating systems and then applications on top of that, uh, it's very similar in biology in that um, genes are essentially uh, just code that is encoded by DNA, um, at which point you can actually use that in a variety of different ways throughout the physical world, and it's all interrelated. So agriculture, the fact that we can uh, increase um, yield in row crops or perhaps create uh, crops that are more resistant to what we call abiotic stresses, so be that drought or pest um, infestations, uh, is really all just a biological problem or, or conundrum that needs to be solved through manipulation of that source code. 
Um, Got it. To me, it, it. Basically, your your uh, thread is biology. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Is that an accurate yeah. Uh, assessment? Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, and chemicals is the exact same way. Um, chemical production uh, today, uh, a lot is derived from the petrochemical industry, but it turns out that using, say, microbes uh, to produce a certain chemical, um, all that is is a reprogrammatization of that microbe. Um, and so we're in, a, we're in a time right now where biological operating systems and some of the first applications built on top of those operating systems um, are really being designed. And it's only enabled by where technology has brought us today and the amount of compute that we, we have today. Okay. Interesting. And what about geography? You were at Stanford, but you're, you've moved. I have. I have. Um, yeah, I, I, I live now actually in the mountains in North Carolina, um, outside of Asheville. Um, I really live in, in seat 10A of an American flight any given week. Um, I'm, I'm still in San Francisco quite often every uh, two to three weeks. I'm in Boston every two to three weeks, and, and Texas really the other uh, points in time. I'm entirely geographically agnostic, uh, and that's actually something I wrote about to my LPs when I was raising the fund. Um, I find that to be very important for, for two reasons. One, uh, I believe that you can actually uh, capture a significant value um, in companies when you're outside of the traditional spheres of entrepreneurship, uh, where we would think of um, uh, really all of the, the, the larger companies having been started uh, these days. But secondly, I think that technology is unbelievably democratizing. And in my uh, stacks, in my verticals, quite a bit of uh, technology actually comes out of academic centers. Um, and those academic centers are not necessarily in those traditional spheres of influence. That being said, there are amazing entrepreneurs that feed back into those entrepreneurship cycles in these hubs of influence, say, in Boston and San Francisco, and thus that's why I still travel there quite often. And uh, you, your fund is new, so you probably don't have a lot of deals that you've already done, but if you could talk a bit about your past work, what kind sure. of things have you, what are the highlights of what you've invested in? Give our audience a feel for what kinds of things have interested you in you interested you in the past absolutely yes yeah. so my first investment in 2010 was a life science tools company that was acquired by abcam and that's actually when i mistakenly thought that this was just so easy i thought you just invest in a company and they get sold and that's what happens um <laughs> but i i then invested in several different companies um in the nashville ecosystem and healthcare it and, and quickly learned um how difficult uh both um the investing side of things as well as the company building side of things was. Um, and uh, really that's why um, I continue to, to try to learn uh, the trade, both on the entrepreneurship side of things as well as venture um, out west. And that led to an investment in 2013 um, alongside Innovation Endeavors, which is Eric Schmidt's um, Evergreen Fund, uh, in a company called Zymergen. Um, to give that example, uh, I, I was actually uh, on call when I wrote that check um, in the hospital, uh, and the CEO pulled up to Stanford Hospital, and I gave him a check, and uh, SoftBank just invested $130 million in them um, last, uh, last year. 
Um, and I was first money in um, alongside uh, innovation as well as, as, as data collective and sci-fi ventures. Um, and that is a, uh, a prototypical synthetic biology company where synthetic biology means genes are code. We can do all kinds of interesting coding tools or manipulations with those genes uh, to make microbial species do really interesting stuff for large chemicals and agricultural producers. Um, I also have a, a personal investment prior to the fund in a computational pathology company um, in Boston called Path AI. Path AI, uh, I was a pathologist in the hospital. I'm, I'm, I was literally just a wallpaper matcher. I pushed slides underneath a microscope and matched them to wallpapers in my head. Turns out that computers, not surprisingly, can do that a lot better and actually can pull out a lot of novel data from those pictures um, and biological data that we've been leaving on the slide. Um, and uh, so that was a personal seed investment um, last year, and, and they just took an $11 million Series A from General Catalyst. Um, and so those are some personal investments, and then um, prior to the fund for some examples. Okay. And um, in your deal flow, what kind of trends are you seeing? Yeah, so um, good question. I, I continue to see uh, on, on the tool side of things, uh, I feel like everyone feels it's a prerequisite to put AI or machine learning in whatever they're doing. When sometimes the data sets uh, are not even there, for them to include that in a pitch deck, um, if that makes sense. Uh, and um, really, it's, it's just trying to employ traditional data science techniques, um, and, and there's really no need for those frontier computational technologies. Um, I've seen quite a bit of traditional tech entrepreneurs who have turned to uh, what they think or feel or want to be an impact project, uh, mm -hmm. at which point you see them switching to uh, biological um, topics or, or, to, or businesses. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's a wonderful thing. However, they need to constantly be buffered by those that are traditional subject matter experts um, because it takes a long time to uh, really learn what you don't know um, within biology. Uh, and so it's always really important to build out that appropriate team. Um, it's not just good enough to be a good entrepreneur because in, in my business there aren't a lot of pivots. Uh, uh, with other traditional tech venture um, businesses, right. yes. there's, they have the ability to pivot. Um, and this is really, you have to get it right the first time, if that makes yeah. sense. And so, yeah. I, but I see quite a few tech entrepreneurs that are actually moving over to the biological scientists as well. Okay, interesting. Now, uh, in your industry, what, uh, how do you parse unicorn mania? Yeah. So, I'm trying to, so by that, there aren't as many biological unicorns yet because we're early in this cycle, to be totally um, honest with you, Stramana, is... We have uh, a few um, that, ex that exist. Um, however, I, it doesn't concern me yet because we're so early in, in the life cycle. Now, that being said, the pressure to produce for LPs, what would be considered unicorns or unicorn-type valuation, 
um, is intense mostly because of uh, the media's treatment of those quote uniform valuations. They're very, um, they're very good things to, to write about. But, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, being a seed fund, I am not as concerned about unicorn mania because if we do the math on uh, my fund, I only need to create a single unicorn's worth really of uh, value in the economy to return a significant return to my LP. No, 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 no. Um, that, that's a very oversimplification of the issue. Your stage fund can get gobbled up in liquidation preferences and all kinds of problems that unicorns typically have. But I think this is a, an issue that has not come up for you yet. So let's let's not spend time on discussing that. Let's let's focus on things that are are more you know relevant in your. Uh, but there's a number your, of ways though. But what's really important here is that uh, I know that you say that, but having a $15 million fund, that's backed by a number of, of LPs that um, special purpose vehicles can be made very quickly and stood up overnight to continue following on to companies that may have reached unicorn-esque status. That's something that's really yes, important. That is a that, strategy that people are using with microfunds, yes. That exactly. Is um, and so that's, yeah. a, that's something really important to, to know, and that's something important for entrepreneurs to ask um, those, those GPs that they're pitching um, for that long-term relationship on whether or not an opportunity fund, say, could be stood up if things are going well, or an SPV could be structured to, to continue to follow on. And that's a discussion right. that as a, as a GP you constantly have with your LPs in raising these micro funds. What, um, what are your parting comments to our entrepreneurs who would be interested in working with you? Well, uh, I'm easily accessible. Um, my, my, my goal here is, is I, I translated um, the Hippocratic Oath that I took in medicine over to venture and entrepreneurship. Um, and so my goal is even if I don't invest in an entrepreneur that I help them um, take that next step in one way or another, whether that's an introduction, whether that's a um, a, a strategic critique that I could at least help them um, build the business for a better conversation either with me down the road or with someone else. Um, and so I'm available uh, to speak with anyone, everyone from company formation all the way up the stack into, uh, into later stage companies um, and, and strategies. I just am very thankful to be investing in, in an industry and a part of the technology stack that um, is, is really meaningful and impactful to the world. So. All right. Great. Well, it's uh, very nice to hear about your activities, and it's a very interesting trajectory that you have followed from medicine onto startups and venture capital. Um, thank you for sharing your views. Audience, thank you for listening, and uh, please stop by at one of our um, free public roundtables where you can come and discuss your strategy and uh, figure out where to go next, whatever it is that you are stuck with. We are happy to work with you. Go to the website, 1mby1m.com, and uh, go to free public roundtables and register. And we will be back with another edition of the 1M by 1M podcast soon. Thank you for coming. Thank you.